Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back, friends. Hello. We're here. Today just feels like a a second coffee day. I almost was going to say it's only nine, but then I realized that's how... I'm on my second cup of coffee and it's only 10. And I was going to say it was almost nine, but see, that's how my morning has gotten. <laughs> so I'm going to get into having Tony Ann because I've already enjoying her so much as a guest. Tony Ann, thank you so much for coming onto our podcast. We're really excited to talk to you. We know that you are on the East Coast, you're in New York, but why don't you kind of give a little bit of background as to who you are and what you do in New York? Sure. Well, thank you for having me. My name is Tony Ann Loftus, and I am a speech-language pathologist by trade. I grew up in North Carolina, went to school down there, thought I wanted to work in education, mm-hmm. didn't think I could be in a classroom all day with a mm-hmm. lot of kids. You know, my sister's a classroom teacher, and I give her so much credit to be able to, like, command the room. And they I mean, it's incredible. I knew I kind of wanted to do more one-on-one work. And so I applied to graduate school, came to the New York area for school and fell in love with the area of speech language pathology. And I felt like I was really able to like find my niche in finding kids like passions and what their individual differences are and like help teach Mm -hmm. them based on that. And I found a the floor time school, um, the Rebecca school in Midtown Manhattan. And I really like came to find my practice of work there. And I was there 10 years. Wow. I had a pandemic baby. Oh, yay. And, <laughs> it was quite- You're in good company here. Yeah. <laughs> pandemic babies in May of 2020. And then I just felt like I couldn't go back, you know, for a variety of reasons. And I started my private practice doing it a lot more full-time after I had my son. And so it's been a really interesting transition to go from a school-based mm-hmm. SLP to being, you know, serving my greater community. And so it's been a really interesting journey for me over the past couple of years. But that's my story. Exactly. Like in good company, for sure. Amanda had her pandemic baby at the, well, I guess what is even the height anymore? I would say May was, yeah, but September definitely still was just, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was still pandemic. Yeah. in New York City, it was like wild. It felt oh, like that's true. Yeah, science experience. I can't even imagine like doing it here in California seems scary, but I can't even imagine New York. Like, oh my god, we had just missed the cutoff of where the you were allowed a birthing partner. So, <gasps> yeah, there was like this three week period of yeah. like a lot of crying where right. my husband wasn't allowed to like come into the delivery room. Wow, um, and I sort of a traumatic birth. I feel like everybody's birth is really traumatic. Absolutely. Who has like a lovely... Right, right. And, no, I think I birth like in petrified. general. <laughs> I needed yeah. an emergency C-section and I had to like oh, sign yep. paperwork and make choices. And it was like, I can't imagine doing that alone. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, that's wild. So I feel very lucky. You know, I did birth with a mask on and, you know, oh, I felt like yeah. people were like in like gowns and shields and all kinds of crazy mm. things. But you know what? He was like the joyful thing to come out of 2020. And it's, it's been a trip, but. Well, and I think it was like a pivot to, too. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I try to say that too. 
there's so much to fear and so much uncertainty and so many changes happening across the world. And like everybody around the world is dealing with that. And babies that were born in these like three years, right? 2020, 2021, and 2022. Like it's such a different world, but it is interesting how like there have been so many pivots. And then you think about it, like anyone who gave birth in those three years across the world, it's not even just like something that happened in our town or or our country. Like it is the world. Like everybody knows what it was like if you've gone through, like, it is wild. So, I mean, we definitely pivoted to a certain extent in the pandemic. And so it's always fun to hear about other people who have pivoted and really taking advantage of like, how can we take the use of store advantage to help these kiddos better? A hundred percent. A lot of those kids that were like my son's age are now like, you know, the 18 months turning to starting to see some delays because they really haven't had a lot of communication partners. And I always laugh because I always ask parents about like their, you know, kind of history before I came to their house. Like, you know, tell me about their background. They're like, well, we had a normal birth. And I was like, well, a normal birth for a pandemic. Right. Give yourself (laughs) a little credit, mama. Right. Yeah. Crazy. They're like, well, unremarkable. (laughs) Right. It's like, how else? Yeah. How else? Remarkable. Quite remarkable. So it's really interesting. And I will say, a lot of parents are like, I feel like it's the pandemic that's caused these delays. And like, mm. yes, no, but I will say that these kids are bouncing back like insanely amazingly. Mm-hmm. I mean, kids' brains are like incredible. So they're all like picking up on speech and language and like taking to new people just warms my heart to see like how kids can be so resilient. They really are. I was really nervous. You know, my son is 20 months now and Obviously, the first six months he was born, like it wasn't really safe because he's high risk and I was high risk for COVID. And so we didn't go anywhere. We didn't really see anybody for six months. And like other than like a very small cohort of people, but even then it was like outside and sometimes with masks, like I did worry about like, how is that going to impact like his development? And like, he just started daycare and he's driving, he's doing fine. And like, they are so resilient. Like I remember when he was born and like people at the hospital, even just like we were talking to people like on our podcast and stuff and just so worried about like what this is going to be for kids. And certainly there has been a lot of hardship for a lot of kids. And there have been so many ways that the kids have been harmed because of everything, but they are resilient. And I think if we look at it from that lens, I think it's important. And anyone who wants to just ignore what happened the last two years, we can't, we have to take that into consideration. But we also should be looking towards what can they do? We shouldn't just say, well, they're just going to be behind. Exactly. Like, what can we do to support them? Absolutely. And I think, Trian, you were telling us when we were offline that there's new legislation out in your neck of the woods in terms of what a parent can choose, right? Can you talk to the listeners a little bit about that? Because I think that that is something that, uh, you know, we've had different people, you know, it's, it's one thing for a man and I to advocate on an individual level. And it's another when the government is getting involved or the state is getting involved and trying to help rectify the situation. Yeah, sure. So I am a trained DIR floor time professional. And so I went through this extensive training from the International Council on Development and Learning. And it's a respectful way to sort of work with kids developmentally. So nobody skips a step. 
And the idea is that, you know, everybody follows this sort of predictable pattern and every kid's going to follow that pattern in a different way, like in terms of length of time, but you kind of have to learn how to crawl. And that's a really important thing before you start to walk and everything builds on each other. And so I've been working in that model for a long time. And the thing is, is that it is not recognized by insurance companies quite yet that that is a way to sort of work with kids. And there is a the New York Coalition for DIR Floor Time, and we're you know fighting to get parents the opportunity to choose something other than ABA for their kids. So when you make that phone call in the state of New York and you say, my kid needs services, I need help, you know, they offer free and appropriate services in terms of like education, speech, OTPT, or and then if you know there are other special concerns, then it's uh, ABA, and there's nothing else. So we want to say that like, hey, there's this other thing called floor time, and we can serve kids just as good, if not better. <laughs> and so right now there's a bill; it's in the assembly in the state levels. It's Capital A eight five four eight little A, and some really amazing people worked on writing this new bill to include developmental approaches for uh, kids. So parents have a choice and we can, you know, educate them on that choice of saying like, okay, your kid is learns differently. Here's two different ways that might work for your family. Or can we do a combination of what that looks like as opposed just to sort of saying, you know, oh, your kid has autism, here's what we're giving you. Here's automatically ABA that we're doing. And 40 hours of it. I mean, so can you tell us a little, that's a lot. Can you tell us a little bit about what floor time is and how it kind of is different from ABA? Yeah, so DIR floor time is a developmental approach. So we look at the functional, emotional, developmental capacities. And so the first one is regulation and your ability to attend. And we want to see that everybody feels comfortable in their own bodies and is available and ready to have to be in a a relationship and be in a communication sort of exchange. And so our methodology teaches more about introception and the feeling of their own body and thinks about why we're doing something. So, you know, if a kid is running at you and might come and swat, they're doing that for a reason. What is the intent behind that? Are they doing it to seek sensory support and feel more comfortable in their bodies? A lot of times they'll seek that proprioception input. And so we're looking at the reasons why kids are communicating the way they are and then getting them ready for other modes of communication, as opposed to just saying like, you know, touch your nose, that might be like an ABA sort of way of learning something. Mm -hmm. But DAR floor time looks to say like, well, does your nose hurt? Or why Mm -hmm. are we touching our nose? Like Mm -hmm. what is it? I'd rather them say like, oh, I have a scratch and I have an itch on my nose. So we're kind of looking at it from the other opposite angle and getting kids to feel confident in their own bodies. So then they Mm -hmm. can communicate what they want to communicate. And it is a methodology that was developed by Dr. Stanley Greenspan. And he developed it based on typical predictable development. And Mm -hmm. I find that it has worked amazing with kids of all abilities. Of all abilities. Wow. No matter what kind of kid I get on my caseload or present with, I always come at them with that floor time approach. I've never had a kid sit at a table and chairs and say, okay, it's time for speech. You need to come and do this activity. Right. I've always been like the therapist that shows up. That's like running laps in the house, laying on, their, <laughs> on the floor of their bathroom, blowing bubbles. And parents must think I'm like, 
a lunatic, but oh I God. promise <laughs> it works because kids flock to the methodology because they feel invested in. Well, it's they're yeah. part of it. They're part of it. And it's Instead engaging. of being told what to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Instead they're of yeah. driving their own development. Yes. It's yes. a me from experience rather than being told, I'm going to instruct you on everything you need to learn. Like, I think kids just inherently learn better if they don't realize they're learning. Or they're understanding the reason why. The, the mm-hmm. why is just so important that gets left out, I feel like. A hundred percent. And then there's so many things that like, we could provide for kids like sensory wise mm-hmm. to help them be ready. Like thinking about seating is so important. It might be really hard for a kid to come sit in your chair and say like, yeah. let's do this activity because maybe their hips feel uncomfortable at the way they sit. Maybe their feet aren't supported and their, swing, their legs are swinging around. And so if they don't feel grounded and connected to their own body, how do we expect them to be feel connected with us? I challenge any adult to sit with, you know, a pillow on under one side of their buttocks and for a long period of time and tell me that that's comfortable because like when something is off, especially as a kid, it's like, that's all you can think of, but that's the same for adults too. Like if there's a rock in my shoe and you're trying to tell me that I need to run a mile, I'm just be like, I need to get this rock out of my shoe. (laughs) Yeah. I'm telling you right now, while we're recording this podcast, the way I'm sitting in my chair would never be acceptable in the classroom. I am sitting on my chair with my legs crossed up on my chair with one of my knees up. (laughs) Like if I was in a classroom right now, I would be put your feet on the ground, put your feet on the floor. Like, and that is like, it's just so wild that, I mean, yes, like if I was in an office, I'd probably still be sitting this way, but like some people <laughs> think that even in an office, like you shouldn't, but cause I'm obviously at home, but you know, I think we as adults find ways that make ourselves more comfortable because if we're not comfortable, we're not going to do good work, but we tell children that they shouldn't make themselves more comfortable. And like, I just don't understand, like there needs to be more of a connection about you know, what we do as adults, it's the, you know, do what I say, not what I do. Why? <laughs> Why do we Why? do that? I cannot agree more. And that was sort of like, you know, I grew up in a big Italian family and like, that was sort of like the mentality, like, and it was just because that was like the way they were taught and the way generations before just sort of like taught their kids that of like, you know, this is like, oh, it's because I say so, but now like we know better. So we're going to like try to do a little better. You know what I mean? Like, I know that like my kid is running around the house because he's seeking some sort of like movement input. And so by telling him to sit down, because I said, so he can't understand that because he's too, yeah. But like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. So how can I give him the input that he wants in an organized way? So then we can then go to a restaurant and he can sit in a high chair and we can enjoy our meal together. Yeah. Well, that sounds, you'll have to keep us posted on the legislation and we'll definitely share it because we do have listeners on the East Coast. And, you know, I think this is something that really, I mean, we talk about like the IDA and being individualized, like there should always be a choice. There should always be an ability to do something that's different if it's working for that individual child. It should never be uh, straight across the board. This is what you're getting. Right. And it's like a, like a cookie cutter, like all kids yeah. are not able to fit in that cookie cutter. And like, that is beautiful. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like we don't want to like raise a generation of people that are the exact same. Like the world is changing and evolving and we need to like change and evolve with it and like celebrate people for their differences. And this methodology like does that. And I feel like this, like, I'm so excited because when I started 
in floor time about 10 years ago, it was this like hippy dippy way of doing things. People were like, oh my God, that's so weird. And now it's becoming <laughs> more and more known. You know, I talk to people about it and they're like, oh yeah, I know floor time. I'm like, you know floor time. And we presented the American Speech Language and Hearing Association conference. And like, at first people were like, oh, that's interesting. And now people are coming simply because it's a floor time presentation. And that's so nice to see that like people are starting to just think in new ways, in different ways. So it's interesting because I feel like I've heard of it, but not in that, like, cause like when you hear floor time, you're like, oh yeah, for sure. Like floor time, like this is, you know, crisscross applesauce or like mermaid or like, you know, but it's like, that's like, (laughs) yeah, the cat, like these little buzzwords. And I mean, it definitely is something that is a perspective shift and a paradigm, right? Because behavior is a form of communication. Behavior is a function of something. And what is that something? I think a lot of times the cookie cutterness is like, almost this children should be seen and not heard kind of thing. And like, that just doesn't like, that just goes right hand in hand with reading, writing and arithmetic in this 1950s way of doing education that we're doing in 2022, especially after a pandemic. And like a man and I had hoped that there would be a reset in education. We were thinking outside the box and hindsight is 2020. And there was this like beautiful little honeymoon phase, right? Where I felt like everybody was on the same page and we're, you know, everybody was, what is the problem? The problem is how is this child going to access their education? You know, so let's address that problem. And then it was just like the fall of 2020 happened. And then it was just like business as usual. And it's just like infuriating. Yeah, it was like everyone in the forefront of their mind helps the education system and the way we teach kids because parents were forced to be the teachers. Mm. But then, and everyone was infuriated and everyone was like, all like, yes, gung ho, let's change things, let's do things, let's, you know, give better resources to teachers and better pay and do all of this. And yes, our teachers deserve it. And let's do all these memes on social media and all these, you know, support posts on social media. And then, school and people went back to work and masks aren't required anymore and like to a certain extent discouraging because that I think we had that momentum and then where did it go we kind of gone back to this idea that education is not as important I think some people are certainly trying to drive change still but it's not the, the thing on everyone's mind so to speak so we're kind of left in this this wave of okay, where do we go from here? And I mean, it just, yeah, it goes back to us and how we still have jobs. And I think, Torianne, one of the reasons we also wanted to have you on is because we know that you've been an expert witness for clients, right? How has that been for you? (laughs) Like, because obviously right before you shifted into your private practice, have you been doing it more in your private practice or was it more so when you were at the school? More so at the school. So I worked at the Rebecca School, which is an amazing DIR floor time all the time school in Midtown Manhattan. And I found them by chance that I got this job fresh out of graduate school. And I just sort of like fell in love with the methodology. They are a non-approved private school in Manhattan. So parents have to either pay out of pocket or sue the school board for the cost of the education. Ah, okay. Um, And so, you know, I was 
there through several changes in the mayor's office. And so some years were heavier than others. You know, some mayors were for education, some were not. And so a lot of times parents would sort of testify that this is the best place for my kid. And they would bring the case in front of like the school board and we'd be called in to testify about that child's progress and that program and sort of say like, this is what this child needs. Are you able to provide these supports in a public school? Are you not be able to provide these supports? And this is what floor time could do for this kid. And, you know, it would go some way. Sometimes it would go our way and sometimes it wouldn't. Did you find like in going through this process and testifying, you I'm sure your eyes were opened about more about how the school system works and how the inner workings of like parents needing to go through this process. Do you feel like it really like was an experience you didn't know what this process was before going into it? Or did you have kind of a little idea beforehand? (laughs) Sort of no idea. I came to Rebecca school and I like, I remember going on my job interview and like no one really mentioned like the whole testifying thing. And then, you know, school year started underway and then they were like, oh, we should have this meeting about like what it's like to testify. And I was like, for what? (laughs) And just, and so we would like sort of go through this like process of like the lawyer would call and, you know, sort of help me prep for the questions and like things I want to say and like, you know, what it means to be under oath. And it was like a little bit daunting for me. And I can only imagine what it was like for a parent. To say like, this is what I believe works for my kid. And now I have to go like fight for that. And you have to fight for it every year. So when you go to sign in for that at Rebecca school, you know, like how exhausting that endeavor is to have an educational lawyer that's on your side, you know, year after year after year presenting the similar case. And the judge has never seen your child or seen what they need. Right. And you should be, as a parent who knows your child best, should be the one that people are listening to. But instead, you have to get an expert that spent a good amount of time with your child, but maybe not as much as you and or definitely not as much as you. Right. And that how crazy is that, that we can't just believe parents. It's really, really bizarre. Honestly, like to sort of say that, like this decision about this kid is the rest of their educational experience gets decided in a courtroom and someone's never even met that, you know, most of the people in that room have never even met that kid or can like, you know, they would, I would write these reports, right? These progress update reports. And they would say like, oh, so you're saying, and they would nitpick through this report I wrote. And they're like, is that true? And you're like, well, yeah, I wrote it. Like, yeah, of course I believe it, that it to be true. And then they would go back and through and ask parents if they saw it. And it's just like, come on. Like, this is, seems like really crazy, like way to spend my tax dollars. <laughs> exactly. And in reality, like, and we advocate for this all the time, that going to trial most of the time only benefits the attorneys, unfortunately, because the majority of money and time is spent in the pocketbooks of the attorneys. And that's why we don't like going to trial. It would make us a lot of money. Sure, if we go to trial and we won, great. But what does it do for the child? And what does it do for the other children that couldn't afford an attorney to go to litigation and couldn't deal with the weight of three to six months or even longer if you have to appeal? It's an insane thing. And you know, we, we talk at times about the fact that like when... Congress created the IDEA and they set out a way for enforcement of this law. And they gave the power to the states to say, you're going to, you know, create this system of enforcement through the courts that should be easy for parents to navigate on their own. 
Yeah. What's the reality is that not only do you have to find an attorney, which isn't hard, easy to come by because there's not mm-hmm. that many that practice this area of law, mm-hmm. and then you have to pay for an attorney. But now the reality is you also have to pay for an expert typically, or you have to have already paid for your child to go through the services that they needed in the first place. And now we're like thousands and thousands of dollars in debt for a system that I thought was supposed to be user friendly. Oh, a thousand percent, a thousand percent. And like, that's not even to like what the cost of that education is. You know, Rebecca School provided OT, PT, speech therapy, counseling, feeding therapy, music therapy. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, buses had to come pick up kids. It was a very expensive endeavor to take on on top of then saying like, now I have to, you know, get an attorney and like figure all of this out. Mm -hmm. And then like to say like, you know, a lot of parents would always say like, thank you so much for testifying, you know, for my kid, you're making such a difference. And like, I'm sorry that I pulled you away from helping other kids that day. Because in honesty, I would wait you know, you're like, oh, you're going to be called to testify. And so the sort of deal was with Rebecca school is that we would do virtual call-ins because if I had to go Mm -hmm. to court for every single one of the kids on my caseload, I would never spend time doing speech therapy. Right. Oh my God. I'd be down at the court. Which is sad, which is sad that that's, that's the level of need for these kids. And I mean, the same goes for a lot. And it's unfortunate that there are families that go through this process of just, well, I'm tired of not being listened to and I'm tired of not getting the services for my kids. I'm just going to go and pay for it. And they don't know that they could get reimbursed. And, you know, then there's the families that can't afford it. And there's just so many of these cases, unfortunately. And, you know, that mom that's saying, or that parent that's saying, thank you so much. I appreciate it. We recognize the sacrifice that's being made by you coming to testify. And we get families like that all the time that are really hesitant to go through this process. Some of the families that can't afford to send their kid, it's not breaking the bank. They're not going to go bankrupt if they don't get reimbursed. And sometimes they say, well, should we do this? Like we can afford it. Like there's other families that can't afford it. And one thing that we tell them is the only way for change to happen Mm -hmm. is by getting more of this enforcement. It's for having more families file because the whole system is rigged. The school districts know that most families don't know that they can file, that they can yeah. seek reimbursement, mm. that they can get change made. And if they know that only one of 100 students is going to file and they're saving mm-hmm. money on the other 99, mm-hmm. what's mm-hmm. the incentive to change what they're doing? There's not. So we yeah. need all 100 of those families if they can. you know. But of course, it comes down to that cost. So it's just I mean, and this is why we have this podcast and this is why we are trying to change things because these one-on-one cases only go so far. It's really insane. And like, you know, like I said, it's over a hundred thousand dollars to attend a school like this. Oh, yikes. And I so mean, like, I believe it. I believe a it, lot yeah. of parents are not able to pay out of pocket. And we're talking about yeah. like birth to 21 years old. Yeah. I mean, wow. And like living in Manhattan too, a lot of parents have like flocked from all over the world. You know, I had a little girl that their family moved from Rome to come to the Rebecca school. So like what a burden that is just to feel like you are doing right by your kid. Right. So it's like, seems like we're making mountains out of molehills. (laughs) And so they Mm -hmm. need to like figure it out. It's like, too right right come on like let's 
make this a little bit easier. And I'm also seeing it, you know, even in my private practice, like mm. right now, the system is so overloaded in Manhattan. It's insane. There's like a six to eight month wait list for an evaluation for speech therapy. What? Yeah, girl. And so like what's happening is like kids are turning 12 months old and they're not really saying their first words and they're being pacified by like mm. the system saying like, oh, you have time, you have time, you have mm. time. Mm. And they're not. Well, and then the CDC, the new yeah. like outline of timelines and all of that is mm. changed and everyone's confused and up in arms and no one knows what's right anymore. I mean, I know, I mean, cause I, I have a 20 month old. So, you know, there are, are pages that I follow. We've had a number of people on our podcast that Lynn and I like follow their, you know, and there's um, the speech sisters is one of the ones that we follow and we've had on and and they always talk about like, okay, well, they've changed these guidelines, but like, let's break it down and really talk about what we should be looking at mm-hmm. and making sure we do early intervention if necessary. But yeah, if, if there's wait lists and there's not enough providers because everyone is dealing with this and everyone is trying to figure out what to do and there's kids that miss so much from school from the last two years and yeah, what do we do? What do we do? And also parents are like, listen, like, they gave us a kid in a pandemic and sent us home and said, good luck. And like, yeah. I mean, wow. I had to learn how to breastfeed my child by watching like videos online. Oh, right. No yeah. right. 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 And you had to make the choice of like, you know, a lactation consultant came eventually, you know, when we felt like it was safe enough, but you can't meet a lactation consultant outside. That person met my child before my mother. Wow. Because that was like a choice that you kind of have right, to make. Right, and so like right. to sit here at home during a pandemic and say good luck, you know, a lot of people were very overwhelmed and they had to go back to work and work mm-hmm. from home. And then there mm-hmm. wasn't childcare available. And now they're like expected to like <sighs> teach these kids how to read, how to write, how mm-hmm. to learn how to walk, how to learn how to eat, how to learn how to attend to sounds. And so it's like this giant endeavor and it can be really overwhelming when you don't have support. And now the system is telling you, you're going to have to wait another six months for me to be able right. to help, help right. them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so sad. It's so sad. And a lot of the families that call me are like, I can't wait six months. Like I've already yeah. tried all the things I know how to. And it's just like, oh, like I just want to be there for the moms and be like, you were trying so hard. This is something like beyond like what any mother should have to do. Like, let me come and help you. But it's just yeah. like, so sad that so many people have to wait. And then again, it's another like tremendous like cost on top right. of it. So like, you know, private speech therapy costs a lot of money. And so like, they have mm-hmm. to sort of like figure out if that's within their budget and like, can they do it? Does the insurance reimburse? That's the other right. thing. Insurance right. is reimbursed for like, only if there's a medical need. Well, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, I mean, yeah. What is considered a medical need? A medical need. What are your thoughts on these new guidelines? Are you anticipating more issues with it coming down the line? I mean, I've heard many different opinions on it across the yeah. board. Well, I was like irate originally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they didn't offer any sort of warning within our own profession. The American Speech Language and Hearing Association really didn't step up and say, this is, you know, we're going to figure this out or like, why weren't we involved? So I sort of felt like a lot of organizations should have been more involved than they were. Yeah. Mm. And so I feel like it kind of like started me on this like advocacy of like, oh, like if you feel like something's wrong, you need to say it's wrong. But what's happened is they've looked at research over the last, you know, 20 years. And they're sort of saying like, everything has shifted because kids change over time. 
And so what they're saying on average, kids are talking later. They're not saying we're going to move the expectation back. Mm. They were saying like, in general, the median has moved. Mm. And I have found that they're not, not covering services. So it's, mm. it's just so qualifying if there's multiple areas. So like they move back the word count, but you need more than that to qualify in the state of New York anyways. Mm-hmm. Or uh, interesting. So like, yeah. even though they're not meeting potentially that one thing, we want to keep time. They would have gotten the same answer had the milestones not changed, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. You need yeah. Multiple areas of communication in order to qualify for that service. Yeah. For the I think the concern but, I've seen, and even from parents of the don't have to worry. And I guess the concern that we always see, I mean, we see it in the school age too, is this, this way to and see approach life gets busy, especially if you have multiple kids. And this is what happens in schools too, is the wait and see. Sometimes these kids fall through the cracks. And then we get to a point where then we are behind than we should have when we gotten started. And then is this mm-hmm. harder to make up for it? Mm-hmm. And you know, we see that all the time in schools. And so I think that's kind of what I've seen as being the worry with this. And I mean, I'm thankful, you know, because I've been watching these guidelines like a hawk, because obviously, we are in the midst of that. And I mean, thankfully, my son has, you know, just in a month of daycare, like talking up a storm. And so I'm personally not as concerned. But when I hear things like, well, don't worry about it. I think it's that we yeah. rely so much on social media now yeah, and we yeah. shouldn't. And if you start hearing people say, oh, well, the guidelines change, so you don't need to worry. Like we need to be getting more information out there about everything that you just said. A thousand percent, a thousand percent. And I also think too, like a lot of parents are like, my pediatrician's not concerned. And it's like, mm-hmm. pediatricians know like a little bit about so many things. And yes. Yeah. And so like, if you want help, you should seek out the professional in mm-hmm. that particular area, as opposed to like turning mm-hmm. to the internet. And like mm-hmm. I said, I feel like there was a time when I did have to turn to the internet for like lactation. And that was like, yeah, sort of like, but that shift hasn't happened to turn back. You know what I mean? Totally. Like a lot of people are like, Oh, like if I go on this website, you know, like they go on to my Instagram and they're like, oh, I'm going to learn how to teach my kid. Yes, I'm giving you tips, but like mm-hmm. talking to me and I'm going to be able to like ask these tiny little questions about mm-hmm. nuances that your kid is doing. And then I might mm-hmm. be able to give better specific advice. And so I feel like that shift has to happen back to doing more of that because yes, I am giving this like generalized, like squat down, let your kid watch totally. your move. But yeah. that, you know, if your kid is unable to like regulate and like find comfort in their own body, we need to start there first. And so, you know, seeking the that help out needs to sort of change. Well, there's the rule and then there's always exceptions, right? And and one and two, you know, we get this all the time is, yeah, we can only do so much. And that's why we have teachers that are not parent, right? (laughs) Because the the child may learn better, you know, in a certain type of environment. And, you know, sometimes your kid's just not ready you know? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong. It's just, they're not ready. And I had the similar issue with my daughter. She was 15 months old when the pandemic happened. And my husband and I, per our parents, we were late talkers. So I knew Uh that. And she was really, and I just learned this because she, I mean, she was walking well before her first birthday. And like, that was just the trait that she like 
put all her eggs in her basket on. And so, uh-huh. you know, as the months went on and I'm just like, you know, and she had her utterances and we could communicate with her. It's just that she, you know, and it was just like, once she finally got back into her learning center in August of this last year, same thing, you know, she was almost two at that point, right? She's two and or she was almost three. My God, she was almost three because <laughs> December, 2021, she would yeah. But yeah, same thing. She just like, oh my God, all of a sudden, the other day she was like, we went to the Arboretum to see ducks. Oh. I'm like, Arboretum? I'm <laughs> okay, like, okay, okay. How was the Arboretum? <laughs> yeah, I was like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, and so I think, you know, there's a lot and social media is great and it's wonderful. But that's why I say like, speaking to the professional, like they yeah. get to see yeah. your kid, they get to see the family history, they get to see, you know, what is going on. And, you know, sometimes we're too close to it, right? And that's what you have the professionals. Oh, my God, Tori, like, Tony, we need to have you on again. And yes. I know we always say this, but like, this is a little bit of it's a It's been such here. a good conversation. I and I, conversation. we're definitely talking to our people. You are our people. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, so if people wanted to reach out to you, how could they do that? Where can they find you? Sure. Speaking of social media, I am the downtown speech mom. And so that's where I kind of like sort of give those tips and tricks to help the generalized public. But I also run a private practice called Seaport Speech and Feeding. We're located in lower Manhattan. If people have questions, they can email me directly at Tony Ann at seaportspeechandfeeding.com. And I'm always happy to sort of like chat. I'm actually licensed to practice in California and New York. So I am people. Yeah. I'm only a phone call away. I tell parents like, you know, when I gave birth and had my kid, I relied so much on my like little village. And then I would be able to like, if one parent was like up at night worried about something, like if I can help them sleep, it's worth my 15 or 20 minute time. So like, Mm. don't let those things keep you up. (laughs) Yeah, I I will give you the honest truth of you should find a speech therapist in your area or don't worry about that. It's right. Yeah, (laughs) right. Um, I love that. Those, those moments. You know, when I was up at three o'clock in the morning, contemplating all of life. (laughs) Yeah, right. That is so funny. That is totally what it is to be a parent up in the middle of the night. Like you're just like questioning everything. (laughs) But no, yeah, you create your own village, which, you know, we've tried to remind people of over these past, you know, we're in year three of this thing. But, uh, but anyway, thank you so, so much for coming on. I feel like we covered so many great topics that we haven't in the yes. past. So we appreciate you so much, Tony Ann. And listeners, if you have any questions, please like message us, get in our Facebook. If you want to hear more from Tony Ann, please also let us know because maybe we can do a these are the listener questions that might be fun. Yeah, yeah that, that would be great. Do something like uh-huh. that. That'd be so right. fun. Yay. All right, everybody. Take it easy. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.